God really, really loves you. Really. I didn't always know that. But he really loves you. When I was 24 years old, I really needed a holiday. And perhaps some of you here today are in that moment in your life where you really need a holiday. My brother had a place on the Isle of Skye. It's just this beautiful island. Everything that you can imagine. And I had this idea that I would be there among creation. That I would see mountains and clear streams. I'd have that moment to connect. And with all the chaos going on in my head and in my life, that's exactly what I wanted. It's what I needed. So I got on the train from Reading where I lived and I went up to London and there's a station, Euston Station, and there's a train that goes from Euston all the way to the top of Scotland. A magical little train. Not literally magical, it's not platform nine and three quarters, but it's just like <laughs> quite a nice train, old-fashioned sleeping berths and all sorts of things like that. And I just couldn't wait. I got there an hour early. And I thought, I'm going to have a drink. I mean, it wasn't why I was going there. I mean, I was ultimately going because I was drinking too much. But I thought, well, look, this isn't four-day bender, so I'll just have a quiet drink now because I don't know when I'm going to get my next one. I had a couple of pints of Hoe Garden. And then I text a mate. So I looked at the watch. I thought, well, it's still 45 minutes until the train comes. He lives in Angel, which is about 15 minutes up the road. I'll get a gram in. Well, that's not really why I'm going on holiday. I'm trying to get away on holiday just to get a bit of peace and get away from all of this carnage and chill out and relax. But we might go out one night, and if I don't have any coke on me, that's it's not going to work. So I'll get a gram in. Anyway, I ordered two grams just in case, and he arrived and gave it to me, and I thought, well, I've got it now. But I did a couple of lines in the toilets and then got on the train. It's actually a really big train, but I can't tell you how small a train feels when you've done two grams of coke. And I'm, I'm running up and down this train, and there are lots of people, but I can't tell you there just aren't enough people to talk to when you've done two grams of coke on a train. And I'm running up and down, eventually I knock on the door of the driver, and apparently that's not the done thing, and we're almost kicked off in crew. And I can't remember anything from the next two days. And I drunk, went places I don't really remember. Total car crash of a holiday. And then I came to, it was a four-day holiday, it was day three. I thought, it's not totally over. Got a couple more days to connect and, and, and find what it is that I'm looking for in this beautiful landscape. And I got myself out of bed and he's got what's called a croft. It's like a small farm and it's got this beautiful lush green grass that goes down to the river Snizort, which is like a, a salmon river with that really clear water. You know, it's everything that you want when you're trying to clear your head and get away and relax and detox. And I stumbled down towards this river. And I thought, this is now the moment where I'm going to get everything that I've been looking for, why I've come these 600 miles. And as I stumbled down, I aroused the interest of a few animals. And a sheep came up. And eventually this beautiful highland cow 
And if ever there was a moment for me to feel some life, some hope, some restoration, some peace, it was with the backdrop of the Black Kulin Mountains, the fish in the stream, and staring into the eyes of this beautiful cow. And I looked at the cow, and the cow looked at me, and I said, what are you looking at? <laughs> and it was then, swearing at this cow, that I realized I'm totally dead inside and I'm probably never going to be happy. It's not the end of the story. We need to go back a little bit more. But I do remember all the way looking back, maybe four or five years old, something wasn't quite right. I'm not here just to talk about addiction, but, but for me, like, I was scared of the dark. Perhaps all kids are. I don't know. But my mind would go into overdrive at night. And my daughter's now seven years old and she's doing maths and she's getting to grips with this number infinity. And it's driving her mad. She's like, how? So is it bigger than a million? Yes. Is it, is it bigger than a million times a million times a million? You just need to keep going for infinity, Anna. And I remember that age, lying in bed, 9pm, 10pm, 11pm, just an eternity going on in my mind. And then it was suddenly, well, what happens when I die? Well, I don't know. Well, I guess I keep living or I keep thinking or I don't think. But for how long? There's a bit of scripture and it says that God puts eternity in our hearts. I didn't know that. It's a very confusing thing. And it terrified me from six years old. Patrick, look at me like I'm mad. And then when I was about 11 years old, and I was a little bit anxious. I did pretty well at school and all sorts of things. But I like to be the class clown. I like people to notice me. I had other anxieties, I guess. But generally, I enjoyed life. And at 11 years old, we went to a mate's house, and he had an older brother. And his older brother had made a bar in a barn. And in this bar was 12% Scrumpy Jack. Now, I don't know how strong 12% Scrumpy Jack is, but I had my first glass. And I'll never forget what it did for me. All of that fear, all of those anxieties, all of that self-consciousness went and I danced around this barn, had loads of fun, so I had another, and I had another, and I had 12 glasses of Scrumpy Jack. 12% at that age, at 11. I puked and puked and puked. And I remember just saying, like, I am never going to do this again. What did I mean? Did I mean I'm never going to get this sick again? Yes. I did not mean I'm never going to drink again because what I discovered in that moment seemed to be the solution for so many problems I had. Well, what if I had a drink and then went to school? What if I had a drink and then went and played tennis? Because I always used to get really nervous when I played tennis. And all these thoughts, all these possibilities, all the things you could do with drink. Anyway, I did pretty well at GCSEs. I did pretty well at A-levels. I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was 19. Didn't know it then. You just called a naughty boy. 
And I sent out the class and some teachers wouldn't even have me in. Mr. Flemington, I think it was. He said, not today, Robert, my geography teacher. And that's just how it was. But I got through. I could apply myself when it mattered, normally for about three weeks in a row, something like that. And then I go back to, but it was enough. And I got through and I went to university. I was thrown out of halls at university for antisocial behavior. Because when I was living at home, I still feared my parents, in a good way. Lovely parents, but quite strict. They wanted the best for me. And when I was away from their beady eyes, the amount I drunk just absolutely soared. I was thrown out of halls within nine months for antisocial behaviour. It's very difficult to get thrown out of halls of residence at university. Students are pretty badly behaved. I mean, they're lovely as well, but they're pretty badly behaved. But I was thrown out. I was then thrown out of the university. And I thought, OK, well, I'll get it together. And I interviewed really well. So I went and interviewed at another university, a really good one, actually, uh, to do maths. And I got thrown out. I mean, I remember just thinking, it's all going to be different this time. And unpacking my bags in these halls of residence, and then I had to go and meet some of the new students at my u university. So what do you do when you're about to meet new people? So I bought a bottle of tequila, and I'm only going to have a couple of shots, but then I had a few more, ended up throwing a knife at somebody, and my reputation was just like, here's Rob the bad boy. And it was weird. I hated it, and I loved it. I couldn't work out what it was. And then I discovered drugs. And the thing about drugs was it could... It took me from... Antisocial to dangerously social. I was thrown out of that university. I was then fired from about three or four different jobs. And at that point, I thought the doors to a normal life are closed because your friends are moving on. They're going to university. They're getting married. You're getting into your early 20s. And I was talking to a girl, my little cousin Abby, about her GCSEs and like, go for it. Like, there's stuff to do when you're young and like, go for it. But if it doesn't work out, it's not the end of the world. It feels like the end of the world at that time. When I was 21, I was thrown out of two universities. I just thought life was over. So that's all you're taught. You've got to do it this way. You've got to do it this way. Anyway, I fell into this sales job, the only job that would have me. I wasn't fired within six months, which was a great achievement. And then I thought, hang on, I could do this for myself. And it was a recruitment company. They'd just given me a phone at the end of the day, and I was making them thousands of pounds every month. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to do it the proper way. I'm going to build up my client base. And Anyway, four o'clock in the morning, bottle of port, watching a decade of Premier League greatest goals, I think it was. Me and my mate Cliff decided, tomorrow we're going to leave. So we left and we sat and we had this little business in my bedroom. And then I had money. And I set myself a goal. I buy a car. And in my heart, I will be happy when I get that car. And then I got the car. So, okay, I'll be happy when we get our own offices. So I stole six members of staff from the business I worked from before. And they came and joined me. I looked around in the office, it was great. What's next? So I bought a better car. When I was 24 years old, I bought a flat in Henley. I thought, that must be it, then I'll be happy. And I sat in the flat on my own, had a few drinks. I was like, no, that's not quite it. From about the age of 22, the panic attack started. I'd wake up in the morning, feel so anxious to talk to anyone, do anything. And everything that alcohol had given me was now taking away. 
and I had to drink more and more just to feel normal. And if you are touched by addiction, whether it's you or a family member, it's confusing and it's heartbreaking. And you watch people destroy their lives. And you want to say to them, why are you doing this? Why are you getting so off your head all the time? And their response to you would be, I'm trying to feel normal. They're not trying to get off their head. They're trying to feel normal. What did this tape mean? Well, eventually onto some pretty strong medication. Kept going for a little bit longer. And in the end, at 25 years old, I had a psychotic experience. And I was lying on my floor for two days. And there's one person left in my life. A friend who'd promised to stick by me all the time. His name was James. Lovely guy, so forgiving. And he was asleep pitched some drugs out of his pocket and he woke up and he looked at me and he said, Rob, look at you. You're stealing from the last mate you've got. And he walked out of my life. And I remember him walking out the door and begging, James, James, no, mate, come on. It's me, it's me. Rob, I'm done. And he went. And as that door shut, I lay on the floor. I didn't want to live and I was too scared to die. That hadn't changed. Still too scared to die. But I didn't want to live. So I shouted out at the ceiling. I didn't believe in God. But I had to express what was in my heart. I can't do this anymore. Terrified. Can't do this. And as the words came out of my mouth, this peace descended upon me and words came into my heart and said, it's okay, I'm with you. It's the most bizarre thing. And I slept. And I woke up the next day and my head started doing all the things it normally did, looking for things to worry about. And there was lots, by the way, lots. And I couldn't get worried. By this stage, I had a Porsche 911 Turbo. So surely you're happy when you have a Porsche 911 Turbo. And I got up in the morning, I sat on it, and I felt nothing. I don't need this. Within six months, the stock market had crashed, 2007. We lost the business. I went from making a million pounds a year with my business partner to 96,000 pounds in debt. 25, no friends, a lot of debt, but I had God. And I would go down to this little church in this sleepy little town where I lived every lunchtime and I would pray. 
And I was happy. You could sum up that part of my story from Porsche to Peugeot. <laughs> and you would think there's me being snapped by a speed camera on the M6. My mate asleep next to me in the car. And there's the Peugeot. And you would think that that story is a downward trajectory of someone's life. But God had found me. And I had Christ. No idea it was Jesus at this point. No idea. No idea who this God was. I just knew that whoever this God was answered people when they don't deserve it. You shout at a ceiling. Peace comes into your heart. And I thought, I should go to church then. So I'd sit in this church. And they didn't really talk about Jesus at the church that I went to. So I didn't really go that often when the services were on. And then my mate started saying to me, what is up with you? Aren't you bothered about this car you're driving in? What they wanted to say but they couldn't articulate was, you look free. Some of them were football hooligans. One of them was a lock keeper. Random guys. Some of them I played football with. No interest in going to church. And we'd watch the boxing on a Saturday night and we'd come back after the pub. I didn't drink. They're gone. Can't describe it. Can't explain it. I can now. Didn't want to drink. Didn't want to do drugs. And they said, right, tell us about this God. And I said, I don't know anything about him. But I've got a Bible. So I opened it. Started reading Matthew's Gospel. Just little bits. Just in a room with eight lads who knew nothing. But they were looking at this one fellow who just had this experience. And bit by bit, they started having an experience too. Sometimes totally independently of me. Sometimes because of these little gatherings that we'd have, reading the Bible and praying. And what I want to say to you guys today is when we think about addiction, there are two equal and opposite dangers. One of them is to think of it as the greatest curse, like a sentence over your life. And I hear people, still, because I'm an addict, I do this. Because I'm an addict, I do that. Because I'm an addict, I'll never have a healthy relationship. I'll never be good with money. They heap these curses upon themselves because they're an addict. I'm not an addict. I'm a child of God. The other error is to think that recovery and not drinking and not doing drugs is the greatest blessing. In the Bible, Jesus tells a story about 10 lepers. A horrible disease, leprosy. And they cry out, they're like me to my ceiling, Lord, have mercy on me. He heals all 10. Nine of them trot off, get on with their lives. One of them bows the knee and gives thanks to the Lord. The greatest blessing is not a healing for your broken bone. 
It's not freedom from addiction. The greatest miracle is moving me, myself and I, from the command center of my life and giving that to the Lord. I'm not here to talk about addiction. I'm here to talk about worship. And that is a wide net across this room. Because we are, only fancy word I'm going to use today, idolaters. Idolatry is the biggest problem the human race faces. And the blessing of people who are addicted is that hopefully by the age of 25 they realise they can't live without the God who made them. So other people get to 60, 70, 80. They've got no idea what they've been putting their trust in. Got no idea why they were made. Relying on their money, relying on their holidays, relying on their family, relying on their jobs. Worshipping these things, controlling these things. And if they're cursed enough, they are able to control them. And they get to an age and they go, I hope, and it's never too late. Surely there's more. In Mark 8, a friend took me aside. I was about six months into this journey. I started to do some weird things like forgive people. Have you tried that? You know, like, not like, like not forgiving the people who are easy to forgive, but like forgiving people. Yeah. I started making restitution to people. Calling up people you don't really want to see and saying Sorry. I wrote a check to HMRC for money they didn't even know I owed them. Why? Because I was free. Didn't worship money. Take it. Worship the Lord. I ain't perfect. But when this guy took me aside, he said, do you know that Jesus is all in for you? Are you all in for him? That is not where my journey began. It began down there, but that's when it took off. And I think there'll be people in this room whose lives need to take off. There might be some people in this room whose lives need to start. And I hope life has got uncomfortable enough for you to realize what else is there for you to trust in. But in Mark 8, Jesus said, I must suffer many things. When God looks at the condition of our lives, he's not coming down and going, I need to tweak Jeff. I need to tweak Paul. I need to tweak Jackie. He's saying, that is a car crash. That is an idolater. And the only reparation to restore that broken relationship is his son dying in our place. Bloody, gruesome, painful. But he rose from the dead and so will you. And that was the healing I needed. I will be happy when. I will be happy when. I'm all right at the moment with, I will be happy when I'm face to face with Jesus. And right now I'm blessed following him in a hard world. What does that look like? Jesus said, well, whoever wants to follow me must deny themselves, surrender it all. 
resentments, regrets, dreams, schemes, all of it. Abandon it. They must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Sacrifice. Whoever wants to preserve this little life they think they've got is going to lose it. But whoever loses this life, lays it down, for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? What a thought that when those nine lepers walking away, the greatest miracle in their lives, Jesus was standing there feeling sorry for them. Because they hadn't bowed the knee in worship and given him their all. And that's what it's about, guys. So I want to lead you to the cross, perhaps for the first time, and again, and again. My mate James put up with a lot, but he walked away when it was too much, when I was too bad. That's the moment that humans walk away. That's the point where Jesus died for you. And you're never worse than you on your worst day. So how can he ever love you any less? So that's how I can say with confidence, God loves you. Really, really loves you. Three things I do. People might say, well, what do you do? What have you done to be free, to stay free, etc., etc." Well, There's three things that I would highly recommend. Having given your life to the Lord, you've got to put him in the middle. Ultimately, that's his work, but you respond. So I lay it all down. I don't want to be the center of the universe. Come into my heart, the command center, sit there. At the end of the day, everything you're trying to control is controlling you anyway. Do you like the idea of being controlled by other people? Being controlled by their reaction to you? No. First of all, I pray. My first prayer probably had a swear word in it. Doesn't anymore. But I really, really pray. And the longer you do this journey, if you're still on it truly, the more you pray. Not the less, the more you pray. Bible. The Bible. I had no idea who it was that picked me off the floor and it wasn't a God of my own understanding. This wasn't a God I made up. It wasn't a God I knew anything about. This was a God who began to reveal to me who he is. And he's done that supremely in his word. I could not go a day without this book. And the longer you do this journey, the more you realize you need it. Not the less. Because it has commands in it. I always thought I didn't want to live. The truth was I didn't know how to live. His words have life. And every command comes with a promise. So when I have a tough day with addiction, temptation, whatever it is, normally it's two categories, give in or give up. They're the two categories of temptations, just so you know. Give in or give up. Give in to something that's not good, give up on something that is. You need a promise that God is going to do in you something that you cannot do for yourself. It is not enough to say with everyone else on Facebook, you got this. That's the blessing of addiction. We realise we ain't. People in this room who still think they have. 1 Corinthians 10 says, when you are tempted, God will help you endure and give you a way out. 
So I'm not just sitting there going, I'll get through this, I'll get through this, I'll get through this. I look to a higher authority, Jesus Christ, who says, you can get through this. And there is a way through it. And there's probably a path out of it. So pick up your car keys and go. Philippians 1 says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So when you have a day where you feel like you want to give up this walk with Jesus because it's not easy, what do you do? You got this? No. Philippians 1 says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. You might have had a shocker for the last six months as a Christian. Did he begin a good work in you? Yes. Will he bring it to completion? Yes. Your treasure will be in heaven. Pretty simple, but it's a great promise, isn't it? We don't always get thanked for following Jesus. And increasingly, you'll get stones thrown at you. Prayer, Bible, friendship. We keep church that simple in Whitley. Prayer, Bible, friendship. You need a fellowship of people who are doing this path with you. Not the mate down the pub who says, ah, sleep with her anyway. Or the girl who takes you for a coffee says, ah, you're due a bit of fun. It's not that person. You will have those people. Don't have to cut them all out. I did for a bit, if I'm honest. But it's the Russes, it's the Jeffs, it's the Daves. The people who come alongside you and say, you don't need to do that, mate. Come on, remember what God promised. Let's have a little pray. Could be two minutes a day. You need those people in your life. Let's just have a little picture. You've got a picture of, there we go. That's what really matters. Psalm 73. Are there times I wish I had a Porsche rather than a Peugeot? Less and less, really, but I like the speed. But look, at the end of the day, right, these words are true. If there's a psalm that keeps you on the straight and narrow, it's this. And there are plenty of times when you look at the wicked and your feet slip and you think, wow, they've got it so easy. Nonsense. It says here, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant and a brute beast before you. What must we look like before God some days? All of our complaints. Ain't got this, ain't got that. I'm not saying life's easy, but you know what I mean. I do that anyway. Yet I am always with you. That's the God who said to me, it's okay, I'm with you. Still with me. He's the one who gave me freedom to say no. Put something bigger on my plate. I don't want those little morsels anymore. You guide me with your counsel. Didn't know how to live. And afterwards, take me into glory. Not an infinity. This dark path just going away into a point that I'm terrified with. But an eternity with the one who day after day, chapter after chapter, surprises, inspires, satisfies, builds forever. C.S. Lewis talked about it as a book whose chapter is better than the chapter before. I'm not scared of infinity anymore. Bring it on. Whom am I in heaven but you? That is the decision of someone who is a worshipper of God and not an idolater. And some of those things that you worship, behind them are very dark spiritual forces trying to trap you. And earth has nothing I desire besides you. 
another blessing of an addict. When you've tried it all and realize it don't work, you are cast onto the one who truly satisfies that soul. My flesh and my heart may fail. It's not you got this, Rob. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I'm going to finish now and I'm going to pray for you. But a little encouragement. It's just happening everywhere. I got a call out of the blue this more, um, about three days ago from someone who was a neighbor five years ago. Just called me out of the blue and said, I've got this urge to go to church. So it doesn't sound like a bad thing to me. Been to church for oh, years ago when I was a kid. So wonderful. Well, come along. So, okay, I will. And she came along. Didn't think she'd come today, but she came. And she came. Thought I saw her car drive up, and for some reason I took notice of the car. Not because I'm into cars. <laughs> and then a girl who hadn't been to church for a year sat at the back and prayed. Her first time back as well. And she came up to me at the end of the service and said, while we were singing, four words came into my head. Blue car, running away, all is forgiven, tingles down the right side. Sounds like nonsense to me, but I'll share it with the rest of the church, and I did. Who do you think came running up to me at the end of the service? My old next door neighbour. I've got a blue car. I can't stop the tingles down the right side of my body. For the last few weeks, I've had this growing sense that I'm distant from the God who made me. I said, well, that must mean that the third clause is correct. All is forgiven. He's reaching out today for worshippers. And eternally speaking, there's no other way. If you feel more comfortable, close your eyes. If the worship team would like to come up, I'm going to pray for you. If you're back to try church, or you've never truly committed to worshipping the Lord, let me lead you in a little prayer. You don't have to say it out loud, but for sake of transparency, it's to say sorry, just to come home, just to recommit, is to accept his cross as the only way back to the Father and to be filled with his spirit, which is the only portion, that only food, that only drink you've been looking for. So you can say it quietly. Heavenly Father, I'm so sorry for where you found me. I want to come home. I believe that Jesus died for me. The only way to be forgiven and set free. I pray that you fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Remake me to be the person you created me to be.
And then the most important word. Thank you. That's what the tenth leper said. Thank you. Thank you. believe we're going to have a couple of songs and if you said that prayer for the first time I think there'll be some people around who you can share with and just say I said that prayer and they can pray for you or it might be you're really in the thick of it like that time I really needed a holiday don't go without saying I need help they'll pray There's no judgment here. Shall we worship the Lord?